think over the past few weeks especially, I've just been feeling underneath the weight in this world, I feel like, where every time I turn on the news, there seems to be a new tragedy, whether it be the events that took place in Nashville or wars around the world or rumors of wars about to happen. And then we just see the brokenness and the dysfunction of everyday life all around us, even not just brokenness and dysfunction, but also wickedness and evil. But in the midst of all that, as Christians, we are called to be people of hope. So how can it be that we see this dysfunction, we see the brokenness, we see the wickedness, we see the evil, and that we can live in that and at the same time be hopeful? At the end of the day, the answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we believe that God loved the world so much he did not leave the world to its own devices, to its own destruction, but that God sent his son into the world to pay the penalty of sin so that whoever believes in him can have eternal life. And we also believe that this resurrection is a promise for the future, that one day Christ will come again in his power and will establish a new heavens and a new earth and the brokenness and the dysfunction and the sin of the world will be no more. That's the hope that we have in the resurrection. It makes me think about, a, about the difference between a, a remodel and ruins. Has everyone had been through a remodel in their house before and like tried to live through a remodel? When you live through a remodel, it can look a lot like a ruin, can it? I mean, you got trash and rubble and dust covering everything, plastic dropping over the walls. It kind of looks a little dystopian in your house. And a ruin can also look the same way. But what's the difference between ruins and a remodel? It's the end. Ruins stay ruins. Whereas a remodel, you're bringing about something that's going to be beautiful, something that's going to be fresh, something that's going to be new, something that's going to be life-giving. So Christians can live in this world amongst the ruins and destruction, realizing that that's not the end, but rather that God is going to be remodeling and bringing a renewal to this world that we live in. And so we live in that tension. We live in that hope of his coming, of his renewal of all things. As Christians, the reason we have to hope in a newness of all things comes down to the life, the work, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we want to talk about that, and we want to talk about the resurrection of Christ from Psalm 16. You might say, why do we want to focus on a psalm on Easter Sunday? Why not go to one of the narratives of when when Christ was risen from the dead. And there's a very specific reason why. This reason why is because Psalm 16 is the psalm that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter went to to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. That when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, was preaching, the Spirit came upon him. He began to preach to the crowds. He told the crowds that they were the ones that crucified Jesus, that Christ died, he was buried 
but that he rose again. He quoted Psalm 16, verse 10, that says, For you will not abandon me to the grave. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, when he is preaching to the city of Antioch, the city that would become the mission-sending center of the first century, was preaching Christ to them. And as he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he mentions Psalm 16.10, For you will not abandon me to Sheol, to the grave. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. And then personally, man, whenever Easter was rolling around, I didn't know what to preach. I really didn't. It's one of the reasons why I love preaching through books of the Bible, because I always know what's coming next. And so here I was thinking, what am I going to preach on? And I started looking up all these references to the resurrection, all these stories about the resurrection. And then I came across Psalm 16 in the book of Acts. And it struck me because, I don't know, maybe three or four months ago, as I was looking at life, I was looking at my family, I was looking at this fellowship, this church, and I was looking at all the good things that God has done and all the good works that I've seen God do, God brought this chapter to my mind. When he says, surely the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And I was thinking about that in life. And when Lent rolled around, I said, you know what? I've been thinking about this verse, this chapter for weeks. I just need to commit it to memory. And then when I was reading it in the chapter of Acts, of 2 and 13 about how they were quoting this chapter. I said, man, I really think that God is just putting this chapter before us, saying this is the text we need to read on Easter Sunday because this is the message that we need to hear, that we can have confidence in God because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going we're gonna to look at Psalm chapter 16. We're going to look at this in three different sections Verses 1 through 4, if you have your Bibles, we're going to talk about choosing the Lord. Verses 5 through 8, we're going to talk about how choosing the Lord changes our outlook. And then the rest of the chapter, we're going to talk about having confidence in Christ for the future. Let's begin with verses 1 through 4 and choosing Jesus. This is what verses 1 through 4 say. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good beside you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones, and all my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood. I will not speak their names with my lips. Scripture makes it very clear that the way that we become a part of God's family... The way Jesus' work on the cross, his death, his resurrection, his forgiveness is applied to our lives is through faith, is through trust. And in Psalm 16, chapter chapter 16, verse 1, what we see is David, the author of the psalm, his trust in God. He is saying, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. What is a refuge? A refuge is a place that we go to in times of danger to be safe because we're trusting the walls of the refuge to keep us from all harm. It was just a couple of weeks ago, uh, 
I was, I was in my backyard. I was trying to get all the trash cleaned up. It was, you know, tip, the backyard is like another room of the house. You just got to keep it clean when you have kids. And so I was just trying to clean it all up. And in the north, I just like I saw this cloud coming. Y'all probably remember this. The cloud was coming and the wind started blowing and all the trash I just picked up got blown all over the place again. And then I started hearing sirens. The tornadoes were coming, right? And, then, and so what did we do? We did what everyone else in clean did. We, we pulled out our phones. We pulled up the meteorologist. And, and what was the meteorologist saying? Down Business 190, like right in our neighborhood, here comes this tornado weather. Seek shelter. Go to an inner room. Go to the bottom floor if you're in an apartment. Then they say, like, go to the basement. I'm like, are you from Texas? Like, we don't have basements here. <laughs> but, like, they like, seek shelter. Why? Because, because a storm is coming and we need protection. We need refuge. So we did what everyone else in Kling did. It's like we went out on our front porch and it was like filming it coming in, right? Uh, but we didn't seek refuge. But let's say we were on our porch and I got my phone out like filming the storm and filming the chairs being blown across the porch. And, and then all of a sudden I see the funnel cloud drop. Now, I'm not that crazy, right? Because as soon as I see the funnel cloud drop, I'm going to listen. I'm going to, all right, I'm going to seek shelter. I'm going to grab my kids and grab the cushions off my couch, go into the bathroom. I'm going to try and get safe. Why? I need a refuge. I'm putting my trust in all these layers of walls around me to try to protect me from danger. The psalmist is saying that the one who can protect us the one who can look out for us, the one who can keep us safe is God himself. And the psalmist is calling us to follow his example and cry out, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. He continues on in verse 2, and he says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good beside you. The way we enter into the kingdom of God is not with our own good. It's not like we have to, to live to a certain standard to get God's approval to earn his salvation. But like David the psalmist, we realize we have no good. There's nothing we bring to the table for God except for our sin. But yet whenever we trust that God is our refuge and we trust that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient, the mercy and the grace that he won for on the cross that was proven by his resurrection can then be applied to our own lives. And I love what we see beginning to happen in the psalmist. That once he puts his trust in God, it changes his desires. He says in verse 3, As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones and all my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood. I will not speak their name on my lips. What is the psalmist saying here? So whenever Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt, they came across the promised land. They were entering, or they came across the wilderness. They were entering the promised land. What was happening is they were moving into a land that was laden and filled with false gods. You had false god of the sun, a false god of the moon, a false god of fertility, of crops, of, 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 of all these other things. 
And what David is saying is that when his trust is in the Lord, it changes his desires. That he realizes that all he desires is God and what he desires is to be with other people who have the same desires. As for the noble ones in the land, as for the holy people, all my delight is in them. There's some of you who are coming to church today and you've just had horrible experiences at church. It might be that you've been wounded. It might be that you've been betrayed. It might be that you were mistreated in church. And so we have to ask the question, why are you here? Like, why have you not just written church off? And I would say, I think one of the reasons is, is that whenever our hope is in God and our trust is in God, we have a longing and we have a desire to be with the people of God. And we're not going to give up. We want to surround ourselves with other people who are crying out, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. We also see his desires change in verse 4, where he says, The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. They used to worship these other gods in Israel by making a blood sacrifice. And what they'd do with the blood sacrifice is fill it up in a cup and they'd make a libation. They'd pour it out on the ground, hoping that the God would then receive that offering and bring fertility or, or be with the weather. And what he is saying is, like, I am not going to participate with the worship and with the activity of other gods, of other hopes, of other promises for refuge. I'm only going to trust in God. And he makes this declaration that when we try to put our hope in other things, our sorrows are going to multiply. And some of us have experienced this before we came to Christ. Some of us might be experiencing this even now. That if we depend on our own personal goals in life to give us meaning, to give us purpose, our sorrows will multiply. That if we go to a bottle and try to drink peace into our life, that our sorrows are going to multiply. That if we are putting our hope in a relationship with some other person, thinking there I will find peace and comfort and refuge, man, our sorrows are going to multiply. If we go to entertainment and said, I'm just going to watch and participate and travel and find peace there, we find that it does not meet the need of our souls and it multiplies our sorrows. As we consider verses 1 through 4, man, my question for you is, is the same question that we asked in that psalm today. Do you feel that the world is broken? And if your answer is, man, we do. We do feel the brokenness of this world. Then what the psalmist is doing is he is saying, trust in God. He is a sure refuge. The next thing we see in verses 5 through 8 is we see that whenever we trust in the Lord and we trust in the Lord of the resurrection, that it actually changes our outlook on life. Let's reread verses 5 through 8. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I will always let the Lord guide me, and because he is at my right hand, 
I will not be shaken. In contrast with those who follow other gods, who pour out drink offerings of blood, here what the psalmist is saying is when I approach God, God is my portion. God is my cup of blessing. And that whenever we are trusting in God to be our portion and our cup of blessing, that we have confidence in the future. Because he says, God, you hold my future. So regardless of what's happening in your life, whether you are full of sorrows, whether you're full of anxiety, whether you are full of, 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 of depression, God is saying, listen, when you trust in me, I hold your future. That life around you might look like ruins, but because of Jesus Christ, they're not ruins. There's a remodel, there's a renewal that is happening. And I love the imagery that he uses to describe this, of how it changes our outlook. We have this in verse 6. He says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That whenever Israel was free from slavery, they went across the wilderness, they were entering into the promised land. One of the neat things is that every family that went through the wilderness got an allotment of land. And the way that they did it is they said, we're going to cast lots, and every family represented here is going to have a portion of land. And they did it by casting lots. And so what he is saying is like, man, when I look at the lot that I received, and I look at the boundary lands of what I've been given, it's beautiful. Think about that. Not all land is created equal. Not all land has the same resources. And I'm imagining David when he's talking about my my boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He's saying that my my land is good. That I've got forest and trees over here. I've got arable soil here. I have water here. I'm in a good spot. Got a nice high spot to build my house on. He's saying the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He's acknowledging that everything good in his life comes from God. Whenever we are trusting in Christ, whenever we trust in God, it ought to change our outlook on life. It ought to make us a grateful people. It's a rebellious heart that longs and demands for more. It's focused on what we don't have. But a heart that's submitted to Jesus is a changed heart, and we see the graciousness of God in a thousand different ways every day. And we need to be people who acknowledge those blessings. That when we wake up in the morning, rather than being like, oh, another day of work, we wake up and we say, another day of life. That when we smell that coffee, brewing and percolate and we smell it and it's like oh praise god got me some coffee and moment after moment there are reasons to give praise to the name of god even in trial even in loss we can be a people that give praise to the name of god why because he is our future And what we have comes from him. James, the brother of Jesus, imagine that role, right? You're the brother of Jesus. Said every good and perfect gift 
comes from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. Every good thing we have in life comes from God. We need to be people of praise. If we are going to live in this destruction of the world and the chaos of the world and the darkness of the world, what is going to separate us from everyone else? How are people going to realize that we are people of hope? Is going to be the praise on our lips. Let's be people who praise God. I love how Paul writes about this in the book of 2 Corinthians. And Paul, Paul is talking about people in the church, people who are putting their trust in Christ, and he describes us as clay jars, right? So he says this, now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed in this life, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted in this world, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Get this, he says, we always carry the death of Jesus in our body. We die the death he died. But then he says this, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's not saying that when you become a Christian, like everything's going to be a Disney movie and everything's going to be great and happy and bright colors. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that when you become a Christian, you're still going to be perplexed, but you're not going to be destroyed. You're still going to be afflicted, but you're not going to be crushed. He's saying you can approach the difficulties of life with this new outlook because Christ is risen. And we can walk in that hope of his renewing work in the world. I think this brings us to this last point where that when we live this life, we can live it in confidence. Verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to the grave. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me and in your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. See what he's saying there. The psalmist David explains why his heart is glad in verse 9. The da David explains why his whole being rejoices. David explains why he can rest securely in verse 9. And he explains it in verse 10. Why can he live this way? For you will not abandon me to the grave, and you will not allow your faithful one to see decay. David, as a prophet, wasn't just speaking about himself. Paul and Peter explained that in the book of Acts. They said, you can go to Jerusalem, and you can find David's grave, and you can find his, his body there. It, it has experienced decay. When David was speaking in Psalm 16, he was speaking as a prophet, speaking of Christ. 
that Christ was not abandoned to the grave, that Christ did not experience decay. And we, when we believe in Christ, experience that resurrection with him to new life. And we get to live in, in a way where there's abundant joy. And we get to live in the promise that at his right hand there are eternal pleasures. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That because of the resurrection, we can be born again into this new kingdom of God. Because of the resurrection, we have a living hope. Not a dead hope, not a decaying hope, not an abandoned hope, but we have a living hope for this world. So how do we live? Man, guys, when we live, we do not live in despair, saying what's going to become of this world. We live in hope because we know what will become of this world. That Christ will not leave it in ruins, but he's bringing about a renewal of all things. And we get to participate with that. With every praise of our lips, with every work of our hand, we participate in that new kingdom of God on earth. So let's not grow weary of doing good because we believe that in time we will experience all that God has promised. All the promises of God in the word of God are true to you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's stand and pray.